Welcome to the Human Capital Innovations Podcast, your go-to source for personal, professional, and organizational growth and development. We hope you tune in often for all things people management, organizational development and change, organizational leadership, and social impact related. Maximize your personal and organizational potential with Human Capital Innovations Podcast. Welcome to the Human Capital Innovations Podcast. In this HBR Minute HCI podcast episode, I explore the recent HBR video, What is Stakeholder Capitalism? Here's a definition and four ways to make it a reality. Welcome back to the Human Capital Innovations Podcast. It's great to be with you again today for this HBR Minute HCI podcast episode. Today I'll be exploring the recent HBR video, What is Stakeholder Capitalism? Here is a definition and four ways to make it a reality. To solve big global problems, companies must rethink capitalism and how they collaborate, argues Mariana Mazzucato, professor in the economics of innovation and public value at University College London. Mazzucato, author of Mission Economy, A Moonshot Guide to Changing Capitalism, argues that a traditional shareholder-centric approach offers only band-aids. It doesn't allow for the kind of bold thinking we need to solve big problems. If we keep just fixing our way out of each crisis, she notes, we will, by definition, be too little too late. Thanks for joining me, and I'll catch you on the flip side of this first clip. So where are we at with capitalism? We're at the point that we just go from crisis to crisis. You know, we're currently living through a health pandemic. On the back of that, of course, we have a massive global warming crisis, but we often have financial crises. So one of the key problems is that if we keep just fixing our way out of each crisis, we will by definition be too little too late. And I really believe that we should be constantly negotiating together, but the type of capitalism we want and getting a much more functional form of capitalism. And I really don't think we have a choice right now. I love what she says in this opening clip. It really will be too little too late if we're just constantly reactionary to these major crises that come about, whether it's the 2008 financial uh, disaster, whether it's 9-11, uh, a pandemic, whatever the case may be. We know that economies are cyclical. We know that other events impact the global economy. And largely what we do with our current capitalistic system is just respond to those catastrophes in a post-hoc kind of a way. And what she's suggesting, which I completely agree with, is that we need to take a good, hard, long look at our current systems, our current uh, capitalistic approach uh, to our economy and find ways that we can be more proactive rather than reactive in preparing for the future of work, preparing for the health of our communities and society as a whole, and ultimately to to drive success as we go into an uncertain future. Shareholder capitalism starts with the idea that only business creates value. And second, that business creates value best 
when it's maximizing share prices and values for shareholders. Stakeholder capitalism starts with the idea that wealth is actually created collectively by different types of organizations, not only within business. The second point is, how do we make sure also that wealth is redistributed between all these different value-creating stakeholders? And that means, you know, to workers and improving working conditions. It means serving our communities and definitely our planet, so it is more sustainable. But it's a much stronger concept if it's linked to an idea of wealth creation itself. So here she is contrasting traditional shareholder capitalism with what she calls stakeholder capitalism. And if all we're doing is trying to maximize value for shareholders, what ends up happening is we exploit. We exploit the environment. We exploit our people within our organization. We exploit consumers. Uh, now, there are checks and there are balances and there are regulations that companies have to follow. But largely, when we are constantly just seeking profit for shareholders, problems emerge. That form of capitalism creates all sorts of negative externalities that hurt a lot of people, even though there are people that benefit. So what she's suggesting is that we reframe it to look at stakeholder capitalism. Sometimes we talk about this in terms of the triple bottom line. We, so it's not just profits, but it's planet. It's the people and the place uh, that is involved. And ultimately, it's, it's a holistic approach to how we uh, recognize the role of businesses in society, that we serve, businesses serve the community, uh, they serve key stakeholders across different elements of society, and ultimately they need to be able to add value to those different segments. So we look at each stakeholder, we see what benefit can be derived from corporations, uh, and then we try to find ways to maximize that potential for the most positive gain and output. Now, that doesn't mean profits are evil. That doesn't mean that rich people are bad. Uh, but what it does mean is that our traditional approach uh, that has only increased income inequality, uh, that has shrunk the middle class in the United States, uh, and ultimately has left many people, particularly those from marginalized groups and underserved populations, has left them behind. We need to rethink this approach. There's different ways to walk the talk of stakeholder value. One is to recognize how the success of a company has been, is, and will be reliant on this immense, you know, kind of collective effort. And actually name checking it, right? Talk about the funds from the public sector, you know, procurement, grants, loans, bailouts, recovery packages, or talk about the trade unions that really helped foster, say, a better negotiation between capital and labor, right? So actually to name check all the different types of relationships surrounding a company which have been part of its own success. So for example, lots of the drugs that we all use, blockbuster drugs, often trace their research to organizations like the National Institutes of Health, which in the United States invest over $40 billion a year and health innovation. And so the first recognition is this wider, you know, structure, social and physical infrastructure that companies benefit from. I just think that has to be, you know, admitted. <laughs> yes, we need to admit it. We need to name it. We need to acknowledge how corporations benefit from various forms of infrastructure within society that help them to get a leg up. So while certainly companies create and add value, 
to the economy and to societies, they also derive benefit and value from those same societies. So think something as simple as roads. It's a public good. Companies benefit from it because they're able to ship their goods and services around the country, around the world. Um, but they benefit also from research grants and from so many different types of inputs that come from taxpayers, that come from uh, you and I. And the question then is, do we acknowledge the benefit and the role that uh, these sorts of funds and the various forms of infrastructure have played in supporting and creating and driving the success of a business? Or do we just pretend as though the business itself has created and, and uh, produced all of that value on their own? Uh, I think any economist, even those who are more from uh, the right side of the spectrum, would acknowledge that companies derive great value and benefit tremendously from the infrastructure and the quality of that infrastructure within a, a community. So again, this isn't uh, a suggestion that we tear down business. Rather, this is a suggestion that we reframe uh, the approach we take when looking at capitalism and looking at business, that we simply name and acknowledge the benefits that they derive. And if we can then recognize those benefits and where they come from, then we can see a broader scope of who the, the key stakeholders are uh, that are connected to this particular organization. And if we're taking a stakeholder approach, then we're trying to de derive value uh, and gains for every stakeholder, not just the shareholders. Second is, what does it actually mean to do things differently, right? Just maximizing profits can only get you so far. Even if we look at the vaccine, right, for COVID-19, if you look around the world at different types of pharmaceutical companies, some have been willing to sign what the World Health Organization is calling for, which is a patent pool to really share all the different knowledge that is behind not only the vaccine, but also the therapies like remdesivir. And so, you know, for me, that's walking the talk of stakeholder value. So if you're not willing to sign up to a patent pool, if you're not willing to charge a competitive low price for the vaccine, you know, as the AstraZeneca vaccine is a fraction of the cost of the Pfizer vaccine, the cost and the prices matter in terms of the massive rollout that we actually require globally. And we shouldn't assume that these are just kind of generic standard and deterministic properties. What you see is a very different type of behavior. If we recognize the current system of shareholder capitalism has its drawbacks and has helped to perpetuate income inequality and negative externalities throughout communities and societies, if we recognize that the current system has flaws, the question then becomes, what do we do about it? How do we act on that information and on that knowledge? And what she's suggesting then is that we, we simply do move forward to start making a difference uh, and to start acting and to start driving change, that we can't just accept the status quo and then try to put band-aids on the big problems that emerge from shareholder capitalism uh, every six to seven years or anytime there's a big global crisis. If we're only focusing on shareholder value and, and increasing stock prices uh, to provide dividends and, uh, sh and stock value for our shareholders, 
then a lot of other problems are going to emerge. She lays out the example of the pandemic and pharmaceutical companies producing vaccines and what that means for different stakeholders. So again, shifting the framing from shareholder value to stakeholder value. Uh, she talks about patent pools. And ultimately, the question becomes, how are these organizations held accountable to add value, not just for shareholders, but across the stakeholder ecosystem? And if we can think along those lines, then we can put, start to put in place public policy measures. Uh, and really, even just through PR efforts and public opinion, you know, help encourage organizations to do the right thing for their communities that they serve. I'm excited to announce the publication of my new book from HCI Press, The Alchemy of Truly Remarkable Leadership, Ordinary Everyday Actions That Produce Extraordinary Results. Consider how the nature of work has shifted over the past 50 years. With increased globalization, rapid technological advancement, and the shift in economic composition, the average job of today looks very different than the average job of 50 years ago. What will the jobs and organizations of tomorrow look like? Moreover, what does this all mean for organizational leaders? What are the core competencies and capabilities of organizations and their leadership that are prepared for continued disruption and geopolitical and socioeconomic shifts? Regardless of what the future holds, increasingly, leaders need to be socially minded, data-driven, decisive, champions of talent, and disruptors of the traditional notions of leadership, teams, organizations, and work. The Alchemy of Truly Remarkable Leadership will help you to explore your own leadership competencies and capabilities and consider ways to apply and implement them into your workplace and personal life. Third, if we think back to you know the moon landing, which is what I reflect on in my book, and just this immense collective effort that happened in order for this extremely hard goal to be fulfilled, much harder than delivering today, you know, personal protection equipment to frontline workers. It was a hard task. It actually meant truly collaborating. You know, going to the moon was not just aeronautics. It was also investment in materials, nutrition, electronics, the whole software industry in some ways was a spillover from that. But what it also required was a very different approach to industrial strategy. There was no list of sectors. There was a problem that had to be solved and all these different sectors came together with government guidance to solve that problem. And I just think we need to get into that mission, moonshot kind of mindset, which is instead of just asking for handouts and subsidies, how can we actually collaborate together to foster new solutions for big problems, which today could also be something like, you know, getting the plastic out of the ocean. But it really does mean that in terms of the immense lobbying effort, you know, that, that, that companies have globally, that what they are asking for is less just about a subsidy here, a guarantee there, a tax reduction there, but actually working together with different actors in a fundamentally different way and being willing to collaborate towards solving a problem, I think we would just have a very different you know, planet that we would be living on today. I love the idea of getting back to a mission moonshot kind of mindset within our organizations as we're trying to not only add value to the market, but to the public space. 
as we're looking at various stakeholders. And she brings up the the example of the the space race and trying to get to the moon and what that meant for the United States in the 50s and 60s as we were uh, trying to accomplish that goal. And it took true, pure collaboration. It wasn't siloed. We needed people from all different sectors, all different industries. It wasn't a matter of just tapping into one area. We had to collectively come together and collaborate to come up with innovations across all different types of products and services that ultimately would combined together when combined would help us to accomplish our big mission goal of getting to the moon. And of course, the spillover effect of that was tremendous innovation across a whole range of sectors and industries and fields that we continue to benefit from even today. And so if we can look at a broader meaning and purpose in the work that we do and see how what we're doing in our organizations connects back to society, connects back to our communities, and then strive for that triple bottom line uh, impact to help stakeholders throughout our, orga our organizations and throughout our communities, then we'll be in, in uh, really great shape. We shouldn't see this as limiting your ability to make profit. The profits that are going to be made will be reflecting this collective value creation. This is the kind of big recognition point, which is if companies care about stakeholder value, they have to begin with how wealth is created in the first place. If wealth is in fact created collectively, then what does it mean to also make sure that we are adequately distributing the rewards that actually reflect that value creation? In that famous Google grant that went to Sergey Brin, you know, it could have said, you know, here's some money. If all fails, do not worry. It's guaranteed. Just, you know, go away, experiment. But if you make over X billion, say on the back of this grant for the Google algorithm, a certain percentage will come back to an innovation fund, a common pot that will help the future Googles. Why not? <laughs> we need to get outside of the framing of the false paradigm of we're either talking profits or we're talking about benefiting the community. That is a false paradigm. We can do both. We can, when taking a stakeholder approach, we can add value to our shareholders. We can drive strong profits, but we can also focus on those other elements of our society, the other stakeholders that are relevant and important. And we can do it in such a way that we don't leave people behind, that we collectively come together and collaborate and provide value to the marketplace and to our communities simultaneously that ultimately will drive innovation, will drive uh, standard of living increases for everybody. I think that's what we all want. And ultimately, it's just a matter of can we recognize the challenges and the harms that can come from pure shareholder capitalism? Can we disrupt that system? Can we then put in place new mechanisms to check that and those types of negative externalities that can be produced by it? And then can we move forward into a more stakeholder approach where we focus on the triple, triple bottom line and ultimately adding value across the range of outputs uh, that come from an organization that benefits society as a whole? To me, that seems like a no-brainer. It seems like a win-win kind of a scenario. I think we can do it. We just have to be committed to making a change.
we need to remember this is about certain types of market outcomes there's varieties of capitalism we are again living through multiple types of crises and if we want to foster long-term growth we want to have a sustainable planet we need to be working together in a fundamentally different way and it's not going to happen just by talking the talk of stakeholder value we need to start walking that walk we need to walk the walk of long-term and sustainable growth for organizations and for society as a whole. While there are many critiques of capitalism as an economic system, that's not the point of this video, it's not the point of this podcast episode. The point, however, is to look at, to recognize first and foremost that there are different forms of capitalism and to recognize that shareholder capitalism, pure shareholder capitalism, can produce a lot of negative outcomes. It has produced a lot of negative outcomes. And can we do things a little bit differently? Not just talk about stakeholder value, but truly walk the walk of stakeholder outcomes and benefits, shifting our framing from a shareholder approach to an honest to goodness stakeholder approach that we're really committed to, not just for PR purposes, but to truly bring value to the marketplace, to the community, and to societies. I am all for sustainable approaches. I'm all for long-term approaches. I'm all for proactive strategic approaches. And I, I think most people who are leading organizations uh, that resonates with, that's that's what it means to be a good leader, to, to run a good organization. So let's apply that go up one level, go a little bit more macro, and let's apply that and say, and why can't we do those things uh, within capitalism, within the broader economy? Why can't we make a difference within our organization, of course, and then perhaps within our industries, and then perhaps throughout the entire economy? I think we can. I think we need to. Uh, our, our planet needs it. Our people need it. And ultimately, we can be benevolent capitalists we can benefit all around us if we can focus if we can first acknowledge the need to benefit those around us and we can acknowledge how the current system sometimes exploits and even harms individuals we can do better and i hope that we will do better it's a great challenge it's perhaps this generation's moonshot our mission to the moon and uh, I hope we're up for, for the challenge. Thank you for joining me for this episode of the Human Capital Innovations Podcast. As always, I hope you stay healthy and safe, that you can find meaning and purpose at work each and every day, and I hope you have a great week. We are excited about the launch of HCI's new magazine, Human Capital Leadership. Human Capital Leadership is a free, interactive e-magazine designed to help individuals, leaders, and organizations find innovative approaches to maximize their human capital potential. We will be publishing issues quarterly in August, November, February, and May. Check out the first issue and let us know what you think. Thanks again for joining us for this episode of the Human Capital Innovations Podcast. I hope you stay healthy and safe and that you have a great week.
check out our new weekly LinkedIn newsletter, Alchemizing Human Capital, exploring industry trends via original research and interviews with executives and thought leaders from across the globe. We look forward to having you join us.